This can be played at high volume. Live and local. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Oh, yeah. Better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Do it. And welcome back. Hour two of two of Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Live. You know, 1041 Lake Charles is live and a living color. Always great to be here with you on a Louisiana Saturday morning, especially one that's as beautiful as this. And we've got the Astros looking to clinch a berth in the ALCS. Sorry, Hannah, five names. I think you aren't going to like the end result here after going down 2-0. Again, a lot like what happened about 20 years ago because it's been a long time since the Mariners made the postseason. In fact, the last time they made the postseason, they were still cleaning up the aftermath of ground zero from 9-11. That's how long that was. And that was when the Mariners were absolutely at the height of their power. Because if you remember that Seattle team in 2001, they were absolutely impressive. 116 wins. 116 wins over the regular season. And they got Zipola out of it. Don't believe me? They didn't even, they made it past the wild card round. But then they lost the Texas Rangers. They, it was just, excuse me, that's just record season schedule. I forgot how weird that one was. But I, if I'm not mistaken, that Mariners team didn't even make it to the ALCS in the postseason that year. It was just, I don't know, they were ALCS. I kind of forgot about that, where they were on that. But who they lost to the eventual World Series champion, New York Yankees, and lost 4-1. I do remember that part. I just couldn't remember if it was DS or CS. I just remember the Astros got lost in the NLDS to the Braves that year, and I try to forget a lot of that stuff. Yes, that was that was not a fun time to be an Astros fan. Like it was like you weren't you were there, but you weren't there yet. But enough about that. It's time to let you know what you need to throw your money down on or go the Oppo Taco way to make some money with your parlays. The world-famous CD always has his eyes on the lines out in Las Vegas. Hit me 20. Hit me 21. Hit me 22. Here's his five favorite bets for the weekend. Will he make you rich beyond your wildest dreams? Or will you be cursing him out after he goes 0 for 5? Let's find out on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I think as I'm getting older, I'm firmly becoming a part of the belief that I'd much rather lose bad than lose close. And especially as a sports better, I'd much rather lose a bet bad than than actually lose it because of like a gut punch. And that's been the theme of this season. Don't believe me? I had Arkansas plus 10.5 a, a couple weeks ago against AM, and that one fell apart. 
no, I had Arkansas money line. I'm sorry, Arkansas money line against A&M, and a, they butchered that badly. Then you go to what happened two weeks ago. In my five-pick parlay, which you heard here on the game, is that I had Kentucky overall miss. Kentucky lost that game very, very late in that ball game. Gut punch. Arkansas plus 17 against Alabama. I thought Alabama, because the way they've been playing, they've been a little sus. And I feel like Arkansas could have covered a two-touchdown, could have made it a two-touchdown game. And at one point, it was the fourth quarter, but then it wasn't. Arkansas wound up losing 49-26, well outside that 17-point range. That said, everything else worked out this past week, that weekend, with Coastal Carolina, the Giants, and the Bills hitting. Last weekend, I didn't have a five-pick parlay, but I decided to goof around a little bit and throw down a dollar each on these bets. And needless to say, I did not do well at all. I think, I'll, yeah, I only missed three in the college picks, and the three I missed were the Michigan minus 22.5 point spread against Indiana. That one was kind of wild. App State t- minus 18.5 against Texas State. Kind of surprised how that end result went. Kentucky, money line, they lost to Kentucky 24-14. to Understandable. Then I wound up going one step further, and I did a massive, like, anytime touchdown. No, yeah, I did some – I did a – pick parlay in every game from Sunday onward, that didn't go well at all. Needless to say. I also had a 15-pick parlay anytime touchdown that if that hit, I would have probably not done this show. I would have had like 27 grand in the bank. Immediately, 9 a.m., Aaron Jones does not score a touchdown. It's over. It's all over. And it was probably, again, anytime touchdown parlays are an absolute beast to deal with. But this week, I've got five easy parlays for you. And if this hits, it's 47-71. Why do I say easy? Because I think this is the direction all these games are going to go. And I went with, first off, the Texas money line against Iowa State. Went with an early game because I feel like that's a easy pick at minus 720. Iowa State is not good. I think Texas Longhorns team, after the way they dominated, I mean, absolutely trounced Oklahoma 49-zip. Yes, it's not a Lincoln-Riley team, but still, that's impressive as hell. I got to play some money on them, and I'm not backing down on that like I did against the Alabama game. That's money right there. If you just bet that individual, you won't get a dime out of it. But just in terms of a parlay leg, it's pretty doggone good, pretty solid. Then we go Tennessee plus nine. I think they cover that spread easily, if not went outright. Because, again, they barely, they as as an Alabama, barely beat Texas A&M and a middling Texas A&M team at that. There's a lot of buyer's remorse going on in College Station, but they can't get out of it because that's way too much money. Then you get to that game today. Tennessee plus nine, minus 110. I got to take that Tennessee plus nine and run with it. I saw some eight and a half. Plus nine, if you see that line, hammer that son of a gun down. Then we go with another easy money line, easy pick to click here. 
I got to go with James Madison over Georgia Southern, money line minus 460. JMU is ranked, first of all, which is amazing to think about. Like, Think about this. James Madison is not actually eligible right now to win the Sun Belt Conference because it's their first year jumping from FCS to FBS, but they're ranked. Coastal Carolina undefeated, clinched a bowl berth, not ranked. But James Madison, who isn't even eligible to win the championship, is ranked. That East Division, the Sun Belt Conference, is going to be damn fun going forward. And James Madison immediately making an impact at minus 460 against a middle-of-the-road Georgia Southern team. Give me that all day and twice on Sunday, or twice on Saturday. We'll get to two picks to click for Sunday's action right now. The New York Giants and the Baltimore Ravens. I'm going dog here. I'm going with the New York Giants, plus 195. This is absolutely easy money. Like I cannot think of a better game to pick against a favorite than the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens, like they did not want to win that game this past week on Sunday Night Football. That was a battle of damn near ineptitude on Sunday Night Football in that 1917 game. Justin Tucker bailed your ass out of it. He was very much the Mighty Mouse of this team. And I think as much as I've derided Danny Jones for years, not that Danny Jones, Daniel Jones, excuse me, got to make the more formal Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes. I've derided him from the second he got drafted. I thought it was a horrible pick. I still think it, it was, but at the end, of the end of the day, they have built a team around him and have invested in him. And they are kind of reaping some of the benefits. And the NFC East looks a lot better than it ever has like in the last six, seven years. The Giants are 4-1, and one, but they're somehow plus 185. Give me the dogs because I got that dog in me with this one. And the last pick to click for this week has to be Bucks plus Bucks minus four fifty against the Steelers. The Steelers are an absolute mess and atrocity right now, and it's a damn shame that Kenny Pickett is having to start for this team because Mitch Trubisky isn't good enough. And his first two games are against the front runner for the MVP and Josh Allen, who absolutely had a beast of a game against the Steelers, and now he's got to play the Tampa Bay Bucks. That's setting up a guy for failure. And again, I understand why they went that direction, but it is what it is. Meanwhile, I was mentioning earlier that I had a pick of a parlay that I thought had, had completed. And I'll say this, because I didn't realize until I looked at it earlier, that the parlay is still alive. I still have it up here. And this was, I made this back around the trade deadline after Juan Soto got traded to the San Diego Padres. This is back in August. So I placed odds on who was going to be the representatives in the World Series. And at two picks, it was the San Diego Padres and the Houston Astros. The Padres out of the NL were plus 475. They're one win away from making the NLCS, and on the other side of that bracket, the Phils are one way one win away from taking out the defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves. The Astros plus 200. 
That's going to be a fun World Series if it happens. Now, does it? I don't necessarily think so. I think there's the case of the Yankees. If the Yankees can kind of bounce back from last night's or yesterday afternoon's disgusting extra innings loss, because I saw like the big triple in the in the tenth inning, that was an absolute like follies type situation. They loused that game up, but it's only one one. The Padres, like their odds of winning the NL, like skyrocketed. I think the plus two twenty last night during their two to one win. I was able to catch the end of that game after getting back doing them, uh, the high school football stuff here over on our sister station, News Talk 98.5, to help it with the post-game show after STM Speed Ran Football. Definitely a fun, fun ball game. But Astros tonight, I think they can win this series. But beyond that, it's going to be a test. I thought I'd cash it out, but turns out it's still an open bet, which, honestly, I wouldn't hate. Because if that hits, and I only put like a dollar ninety six on it, thirty three eighty one, and I've also got a bet. I'm still waiting to cash. I'm still waiting for it to hit officially. But I think there's no doubt in my mind that Justin Verlander's a Cy Young Award winner, right? There's no doubt about it. And I placed a bet a while back when I went to Evangeline Downs and had a five dollar bet on that. That's gonna cash out twenty five. And this was back in like June. I placed that bet on. I I threw that down. So trust me, next time I make my way over to Opelousas, I might be cashing out some money and getting out of there. Maybe for the first time ever, actually walking out of a casino with a profit. That's a different conversation for a different day. We got Ross Jackson. He'll be joining the program at the bottom of this hour. But in the meantime, and in between time, we'll take a quick time out. And when we come back, I've got some other things to get to, including the NFL may be overcorrecting with certain protocols and more importantly, certain penalties they're calling right here. We'll talk about that and more right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. The world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. <laughs> now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear with Under the Dome with the world-famous CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana Sports Station. Station. Welcome back to uh, Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles. Ross Jackson will be joining the program in about 10 minutes. But in the meantime and in between time, let's get it into the NFL a little bit more just as a whole because I think there's two big stories heading into a pretty decent slate in the NFL. I think the biggest one, without a doubt, is... Kind of the overcorrection. And here's the thing. I was completely in favor of the decision to make some changes with how concussion protocols were handled. I said it two weeks ago. They needed to make some changes. One, because they were going to be under massive amounts of pressure to do so. But number two is the fact that you had so much go awry from a logistics perspective. 
that's kind of where I was at with this. Is that the NFL, with the situation with Tua Tagovailoa getting concussed twice in one week, and that second concussion looked a lot worse, they had to do something. And they did the right thing from the protocol perspective. But I think the roughing the passer penalty... The roughing the passer penalties that happened in two particular games, one of which was the Bucks game against the Raiders, which got a laughable fine to Tom Brady for $11,500 for a kick. Whenever the tackle, the roughing the passer call, was not a roughing the passer call at all. Like, excuse me, it wasn't Bucks Raiders, it was Bucks Falcons. Excuse me. Because the Raiders were part two of this bleep show of officiating. First off, if you didn't watch that game, the the Bucks falcons because was, I believe it was at the same time as the Saints game, so if you didn't, more just because you didn't, you weren't able to. But, this was vintage ref ball and vintage Jerome Boger, who may be, everybody wants to hate on Bill Vinovich, and I understand that. He is public enemy number one here in Louisiana. But I think Jerome Boger should be public enemy number two. You want to know why? Because almost every single time I see him on the freaking TV, or even a couple weeks ago, true story. So as I'm making my way around town, getting some lunch after the Saints lost a heartbreaker to the Minnesota Vikings, I am listening to the game. Because why not listen into the broadcast, hear some great high noon football action. You know what I hear when I get in my car and I'm driving around? I hear Jerome Boger. And I immediately knew that was going to be a game where he was going to, to a certain extent, make it about him. And that's what it feels like when certain head officials are in charge. Jerome Boger may be the biggest offender in my mind. He has continually had these kind of games. And what do you know when Tampa Bay, and more importantly, you have Tom Brady get touched. It, it it continues to amaze me. 20 years later, Tom Brady is one of the most protected quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. Like, you can almost not, not breathe. You could breathe on him wrong and probably get a penalty for roughing the passer. Like, it wasn't even that bad of a hit from Grady Jarrett. Like, why was that a roughing the passer penalty? It's not like he took him to Suplex City or hit him with a power bomb on that or hit him with a pile driver like he was Captain Insano. No. It was a pretty standard tackle roughing the passer. Then we get to the probably the more egregious one that was classic give the guy another give the guy another chance with Chris Jones. That penalty call was absolutely absurd. And then you find the guy? You find the guy for that. That's like absolute bull. Like I cannot understand why we continue to get this kind of situation. And Carl Sheffers, he's not he's pretty bad too in terms of these situations about making it about himself. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? They doubled down 
on this horrible roughing the passer call that pretty much helped the Kansas City Chiefs get back in the ball game. They got a call. They did that to give him a little bit of a receipt and and kind of give it back to him after some really – and it, like that call on Chris Jones for the Kansas City Chiefs led to a big play for the Raiders, and then the Chiefs got one back a little bit later. Don't believe me? Go look back at that field goal. That wound up being uh, no good, but there was a holding call. The refs had an opportunity to give it back to them to where it was more competitive because I guarantee you they were one to cover their ass because I think the fan base of the Kansas City Chiefs probably would have been a lot like fans in Mid-South when the Freebirds were in town. They would have been out there, not quite guns drawn, but definitely would have had a couple knives out there and would have wanted to bust some ass. I'm telling you, the refs are doing a lot of bad things. That's kind of where I'm at. If you're talking about the NFL, that's their biggest problem right now is getting this ref ball BS out of here. I understand There's the player safety is of utmost importance despite the fact that they have proven themselves year in and year out to kind of be contradictory of themselves. Now... We kind of flip the script and we talk about what happens with Dan Snyder. Because it feels like to me, Dan Snyder is very much being Regina George in Mean Girls. And yes, it's October. October 3rd was a couple weeks ago, but guess what? I can still make some references that maybe not the average person could make. But if you've ever seen Mean Girls, you know there's a certain book called The Burn Book that very much has a lot of stuff on a lot of people. Has a lot of dirt. But now the billionaires club of the NFL wants Dan Snyder out. I feel like they've been wanting him out for a long time. But now there's a a crap ton of pressure to get Dan Snyder out of the NFL. Roger Goodell wants him out. But, again, it's all because the owners, I think, are basically yelling, get out of our company. Get out of our club. You don't belong here. And then he's saying, reportedly, that he has enough dirt to blow up NFL owners. Basically, he's got a burn book. Now, what this means is interesting. But it's also the fact that I think there's a lot of team owners that hate Dan Snyder. And Snyder also allegedly said, they can't bleep with me. He called the NFL a mafia, saying that all the owners hate each other. I'm sure some of the owners do hate each other. I'm almost certain Mrs. B, who is an absolute saint, probably hates Robert Kraft. I'm sure 31 of the 32 teams, or 30 maybe, hate Robert Kraft. I'm sure a lot of teams, a lot of owners, hate Dean Spanos. I'm sure a lot of teams hate Arthur Blank as an owner. I'm sure there's a lot of hate mutually because, again, the competition and also just general a-holishness. And those are the guys I can't stand. And I mentioned just three or four of them off top. Robert Kraft, Patriots, 
Obviously, a lot of dirt on him, probably. Dan Snyder's just an overall bag. Then you have Dean Spanos. Kind of a bag as well, the way he handled the San Diego situation, moving to Los Angeles, whenever it was clearly no love for him at all. Like, you can barely fill, you barely can fill, fill a soccer stadium for a while. Yeah. The Los Angeles Chargers was stake and Dean Spanos deserves all the hate he can get then we also kind of got to bring up guys like Arthur Blank and again maybe it's just the fact I'm a Saints fan not a huge fan of the guy Arthur Blank who looks like Walt Disney in like 2020 not necessarily my favorite guy he just always and he's always just on the field doesn't need to be on the field just get the hell out of here and then Jerry Jones I think Jerry Jones is the most hated owner in all the NFL and I think he's also hated amongst his staff because he just loves to meddle a little bit too much. Again, that's just my personal opinion right there. But we'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. Come back. We'll get Ross Jackson board, talk some Saints as we head into a big pivotal game against the Cincinnati Bengals right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Most sports talk shows turn it up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome is far from your ordinary sports talk show. It takes it just one step higher. These guys are laughing. Now back to the show that gets the lead out. Under the Dome with CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And now we get to probably my favorite part of the show, my favorite part of the week. It's been a minute because obviously our man is jet-setting international style over in foggy London town last time we were on the airwaves. But after about three weeks, the man is back, and he is the host of the Locked on Saints podcast, also contributor for Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Network. And, of course, that means we've got our guy, Ross Jackson, aboard the hotline. Ross, how you doing, my brother? Hey, man. Glad, uh, I'm, I'm doing great. Glad to be back here on the show. Glad to be back stateside as well, though I did enjoy my time in London. There's no place like home, so I appreciate you, buddy. First off, how many times did you see Big Ben in Parliament while you were around London town? Over the over that week, <laughs> definitely saw Big Ben, um, and you know, kind of did the whole, uh, you know, little walk around and that whole little area. I don't know what the appropriate name of like the neighborhood is and everything, but you know, got to see a whole bunch while we were there. So I had a great time with it. It's definitely a place that's on the list of a lot of people to go to to London to go, not just for an NFL game, but just in general. But I'm sure that was a great yeah. experience for you to be out there. But let's let's kind of get into the New Orleans Saints right here, right now, and where things stand, especially when you talk about the quarterback situation. Because right here, right now, obviously, mm-hmm. Andy Dalton is going to be the starter for this Sunday's contest. But if he put, like, what have you seen from him? And could this just be a situation where you're letting Winston get healthy before he, before you get into your stretch run of the season? Or is this maybe more of a precedent to where Andy Dalton could be more of the Aaron Brooks to Winston's Jeff Blake as he's down with as Winston's currently dealing with all these injuries? 
Yeah, I think first and foremost what the Saints are, are wanting to do here is to make sure that James Winston has time to get healthy. Uh, and then once he's healthy, they should be able to make an evaluation based upon the performances that they've seen and what they know of each of these players uh, based upon their, their starts uh, with, with you know in this year's version of the system. Dennis Allen told us the other day that he believes James Winston sort of evaluate, evaluation thus far to be incomplete because – you know, he's been playing with injury, playing through injury, stuff like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if that means that once Seamus Winston is healthy, that he gets back out there as the starter. But I don't think that it would be unwarranted uh, to say that even in that circumstance, the New Orleans Saints will probably take their time evaluating that position. And looking at, obviously, what's going on with that, I think obviously we can bring up the fact you have Taysom Hill. He popped off insane 40 fantasy points Mm -hmm. over the weekend, not just getting it done offensively, but defensively as well. I think last Sunday's game was more about him kind of fully embracing that role of I'm the guy that's going to get this team to a certain level. Let's go and let's figure out how we can elevate our game even more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some people sort of saw that Taysom Hill performance and said, oh, well, maybe maybe Taysom should be starting at quarterback. But I think that one of the things that makes that game possible for Taysom is sort of the sparingly, you know, the way that he was utilized sparingly. I mean, he only played 31, 30% of snaps throughout that game, uh, touched the ball only 10 times, but you're maximizing his explosiveness. You're maximizing his ability to be that breakaway player for you by not having a ball in his hand every down and not, uh, you know, having him take unnecessary hits and things like that from the quarterback position. So I I think that, you know, him really, and I love the way you said that, him really embracing his role as a playmaker, finally. Uh, Not that he wasn't embracing it before, but now being in position to be that playmaker, I think it goes to show you what benefit he brings to the team. Uh, when utilized in that manner. would like to see him get involved a little bit more in the pass. Uh, I'm sorry, in the receiving game, though, uh, as a receiver. But, you know, hey, no one's going to no one's gonna be disappointed in three rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown on your day. Nobody's going to be disappointed at all. It's just getting points on the board in some cases. It feels like that's almost been an allergy for the New Orleans Saints. A lot of like the has been for the Denver Broncos, where the second you get to the red zone, they just fall apart. To a certain extent, that's been the – issue with the New Orleans Saints over the last few weeks and I think just getting that win alone was huge especially heading into this big ball game yes it's not necessarily as big of implications as we thought it was going to be heading into the season but I think it's still a pivotal matchup because you're playing a team in the Cincinnati Bengals that's starting to find themselves and find their identity this year yeah, yeah, and this is a, a game going into this weekend or, or, or tomorrow that you you have to be able to put points on the board, right? Like to keep up with the Cincinnati Bengals offense. I know they've not been the Cincinnati Bengals offense that we're used to seeing last week, but this is also the week that you can't let them get right. And that's going to be challenging without Marshawn Lattimore on the field. No, you've got Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, potentially T. Higgins, who sounds like a big game-time decision, but we know how opposing wide receivers who are injured works against the New Orleans Saints. He'll very likely play. Um, so it's going to really come down to you being able to put a cap on those explosive plays. The Saints gave up six plays of over 32 yards last week and uh, you know didn't lose that game, which is good. So it kind of taught the New Orleans Saints something 
uh, without, you know, having a long-term impact on their win-loss record for the season. So that's good. So can the Saints now mitigate that, but also manage the challenge of being without Marshawn Lattimore? It's going to be really trying for this New Orleans Saints team. But last week was a, a, about as much of a must-need win as you can have five games into the season because you're talking about a 22.4% uh, playoff chance if you're 2-3 and three since 1990, but then only about a 7.1% chance, about a 15% swing winning that game for them giving themselves some postseason life. Getting back to 500 this week would do them some wonders as well, but it's not going to be easy. It's never going to be easy, especially when you look at what they have on the other side with the Cincinnati Bengals. You brought up Joe Burrow throwing it to Jamar Chase. I mean, obviously, Joe Burrow is probably, like, relishing the opportunity to go back to the scene of the crime because Joe Burrow undefeated inside the Superdome, mind you. Back when he played, it was the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Now it's Caesars. Who knows how that can wind up changing some of the fortunes on that side if you're into superstition. I think this game is going to be crucial more with what happens in the trenches because the offensive line for the Bengals, despite the fact they've added elite talent, can't get right I don't know what's going on there Mm -hmm. but you look at what that is I think what Cam Jordan and crew do this Sunday that's going to be the difference in the game in my mind I completely agree I completely agree I think that the New Orleans Saints defensive line up against the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line whoever wins that matchup wins the game it's really that simple for me. Now, you have to win a turnover margin as well, right? You can't turn the ball over because then it kind of doesn't matter, even if you are winning on the defensive line. But if you can put points on the board, if you know, if all things are equal in terms of points on the board, turnovers, the offensive, or excuse me, the Saints defensive line versus the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line is very likely what decides this game. And Cam Jordan's, you know, in the midst of one of his, it happens every season, right? Where he gets three, four, five, six games in a row where he's making big plays and things like that. So, He's you know warmed up early on this season, so he's ready to go. Marcus Davenport's been very disruptive. Malcolm Roach coming back has given the defensive interior uh, a nice boost. I think this would be a great week for David Onyemata to sort of you know pop back uh, on the field a little bit more. We haven't really seen much of him so far this season as an impact player. So I think that defensive line is really where it all kind of starts and ends for the New Orleans Saints. And over on the offensive side, it's just about maintaining possession of the ball, right? It's not turning the ball over. And if they can win the turnover margin in this one, then that would certainly help them out a ton as well. Let's talk right now. Ross Jackson, host of the Locked On Saints podcast and contributor for Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Network. What are some other big keys for you? We bring up the defense, but what mm-hmm. are some other big keys for the contest in order for the New Orleans Saints to get to 500? Yeah, I think um, sticking with the defensive side, you got to eliminate the big plays, right? We saw those six explosive plays last week that went for over 32 yards or 32 or more yards. Three of those resulted in touchdowns. Two of them beautiful passes by Geno Smith. The other, you know, uh, a kind of scramble and, and run away by, by Geno Smith. And then you had the big run play as well from uh, Kenneth Walker. So really had four scores uh, in there. But, you know, it, it's... It's been a challenging year for the New Orleans Saints defense in terms of explosive plays, and some of it is because Paulson Adebo missed the first few weeks, and then as soon as they get Paulson Adebo back, Marcus May is missing time. Marcus May is coming back, or we expect that he'll be back for this weekend. We'll see. He's officially listed as questionable, but Marshawn Lattimore is out. So the secondary is kind of what the New Orleans Saints skilled positions, along with Drew Brees, were at the beginning of 2020. Remember those guys like never really got a game together? that's what the secondary is starting to feel like and so 
that has to be a big emphasis this week is eliminating those explosive plays. So you're going to see them play a lot of split safety looks, dare the Cincinnati Bengals to run. Expect the defense against the Cincinnati Bengals to look like it looked a few years ago against the Kansas City Chiefs where the Saints were actually in that game uh, relatively late. And it was a lot of daring them to run the ball and then not giving them the, the pass that they needed to be able to throw. So I think that that becomes the key over on the defensive side, kind of an unsung one that I'm going to be paying attention to. The Saints right now are 29th in the NFL, third worst in starting field position, only 25.1, so just barely better than a touchback. Uh, but then they're also the, te- the league's absolute worst when it comes to starting position surrendered on an average basis to opposing teams. That's so about 32-yard line there. So the Saints have to be able to flip the field more effectively, sort of like what we've seen in past years. So that comes down to the coverage units, but also comes down to the return game. Expect Rashid Shahid to very likely be elevated this weekend, get an opportunity to be able to uh, show what he can do as somebody that has a fantastic resume as a collegiate returner. With Deontay Hardy out, he should get an opportunity this weekend. What are, you, what are your thoughts on Dennis Allen, how he started off this is – tenure as the Saints head coach because I think there's a lot of people that aren't necessarily huge fans of him and I've seen a lot of people kind of compare him to obviously Jim Haslett in the early run of this what are your early thoughts on the tenure of Dennis Allen yeah I I feel like going after coaching going after play calling is just one of those accessible things that you can do from afar but I, I like what Dennis Allen has done and the way that he's led this team. Um, he's clearly, you know, a little bit more lax than maybe uh, we're used to seeing here in New Orleans. Uh, you know, we're seeing people, we're seeing, you know, Mark Ingram doing these, you know, uh, appearances on shows and stuff like that. So, like, there's clearly some, like, some, some sort of player-friendly um, stuff going on, which I think is, is good for the players. But the, I think the other piece of it, too, is that, you know, Dennis Allen has shown you already that he can handle sort of the wildest situations that we're just not talking about anymore. I mean, he got Michael Thomas back on board with this team over the course of the offseason. He helped to make some big-time uh, changes on the offense and defensive side, losing two-star safeties and then replacing them with two-star safeties, right, being able to kind of build the scheme that players want to be a part of. So uh, I think that there's a, a lot of easy things that you can look at and you could say, okay, that has to do with coaching, that has to do with coaching, that has to do with coaching. But that's also not unexpected in uh, a coach's first season either. Of course there are going to be some of those question marks. So I do think some of it gets a little bit blown out of proportion in terms of the negativity that comes at Dennis Allen, but also Dennis Allen should have better results based upon his roster. So at some point, you've got to be able to see some of these things take a turn the corner. And so the quicker, obviously, that they can turn the corner with a very talented roster, then the quicker some of those questions feel like they get answered uh, that might be centering around coaching or play calling or anything like that. And speaking of head coaching, obviously the – Carolina Panthers are a team that's looking for a new head coach after firing Matt Rule and basically paying $48 million to never coach unless he winds up finding another job. My question to you is, how much does that play a role in what the Saints do this offseason? Because obviously Sean Payton and that potential trade is still on the table. Do you think the Panthers would try and poach Sean Payton to go join that franchise, or is there another team that you probably are keeping an eye on where they're where that coach is on a hot seat, to where you can get a really a lot of great value for your buck here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Carolina should be one of those teams, and it would be in the Saints' best interest if they were. The more teams that are 
kind of in this conversation for who will be the number one head coaching candidate this upcoming coaching cycle, the more the more you know teams that are in on them, the greater the bidding war becomes and the greater the return becomes for the New Orleans Saints because teams are having to bid with one another. So, uh, yeah, Carolina should be one of those teams. I wouldn't be surprised if Denver potentially ends up being one of those teams. Uh, an interesting one for me to keep an eye out on another team that maybe hasn't necessarily <laughs> performed the way that might have been expected so far early on in the season would be the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, Coach Lombardi's already there. Coach Nugent's already there. There's a great young quarterback there as well. They have some draft capital. So there's you know obviously uh, some opportunity there as well. The Dallas Cowboys could be one of those teams. But, look, they're winning a lot of games right now with Cooper Rush at quarterback, so it's going to be pretty hard if that continues to move on from Mike McCarthy. Uh, but, you know, look, Jerry Jones is going to make the decision that he wants to make. So I think, you know, any any four or five teams, maybe even six teams, that could potentially be in the running here uh, would be beneficial for the New Orleans Saints because more teams that are involved in that conversation, sort of the, the better the return becomes. Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and more importantly, enjoy the game tomorrow. Thank you, buddy. Right back at you. I appreciate you so much, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, that was Ross Jackson. Appreciate him coming on the program. Always good to talk to him. You can follow him on Twitter if you aren't already. What the hell are you doing? At Ross Jackson Nola. Got one final take before we get on out of here on Louisiana Saturday morning. We'll be back after this right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Before we close up shop here on Under the Dome, CD has just one more take to fire off before he drops the mic. Is it going to be a take that lands on the Scoville scale? Or is it going to be as cold as the pizza in your fridge? Let's listen in and find out. Welcome back. Wrap it up hour number two in the show of Under the Dome with CD with one final take. And it's definitely more of an H-Town feel right about now because the Astros, I think they go and get it done in three against the Seattle Mariners. And it obviously it feels way too easy to go that route. But honestly, that's the final take we're going to have to wrap up this program. Right now, everything's setting up really nicely. Lance McCullers Jr., he's been looking good since his return. Not quite of the Mac, but the Mac Colors been getting it done. I can not root for that guy. I think they get it done. Add the fact that you're going to be up against a starting pitcher that has a little bit of mediocre ERA. Kind of weird to see that kind of pitching matchup in a pivotal win or go home situation. But I think that's been the biggest question mark on the Mariners roster. Yes, they have some great guys like J-Rod. And I'm a Kyle Raleigh, the clutch king. But I still feel like they're a little bit of a ways away from making it a relevant competition in the AL West division. Still need a few more pieces in my heart of hearts. But it's great to see, honestly, because I'm tired of seeing the A's always being that other team out the AL West to make the wild card round. But again, got to give some mad credit to the Mariners for getting to this point but I think they were always set to be a team that was only going to get so far. Just my personal opinion there. Appreciate everybody for listening into the program. We'll be back here next week. As far as I know, there's not going to be another 11 a.m. game on the schedule for the foreseeable future. 
I could be completely wrong. If Arkansas continues to lay an egg, because they're losing, they've lost three straight, and the road doesn't get much easier when you look at Arkansas' schedule. They got BYU today. They should be able to overcome that. Then you've got your tail end of the season. Auburn win. Then you got LSU, Ole Miss, and Mizzou wrap the season. Liberty, I don't count because Liberty's not the Liberty of last year. Even then, I think Arkansas would have thrashed Liberty last year because I think the Malik Willis thing was very much Lamar Jackson over at Louisville where he was a damn good player. But once you isolated him, that team fell apart like a stack of cards. Just me. It's my take there. But I do like what I'm seeing from the Arkansas Razorbacks. Hopefully they can bounce back tonight because then we get into different conversations. We get into some fun conversations, and it's always great to talk to you. It was it was good being away for a week because I was able to kick back, relax, and also, more importantly, enjoy some estate sales. Why am I getting a PS3 for like $40? So if anybody has NCAA 14 and they'd like for me to borrow that for a little bit, it'd be very, very much appreciated. Peace out, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Be back with you next Saturday from 9 to 11 right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. we got LSU football coming up at 4 o'clock pregame, 6 o'clock kickoff. And Astros game three will be on News Talk 98.5, the talk of Acadiana with Pre-game at 237, first pitch at 307. Always weird times. Peace out, everybody.